Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific need. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholsshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Victor Antonio, welcome to the program. Selling is all about, really, it's, we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think you're selling, a solution. You're selling change. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the liberty movement. And this is why we talk about being the trusted advisor. You should be able to help use that expert guidance and all the opinions that I'm sure that you have and help lead them towards not just a decision, but the right decision. Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Here's a special throwback episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Uh, without further ado, on to the show today, Rick Rivkin from We Do Better here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, sir. Well, you're, you're coming from an organization that, I mean, it should need no introduction, but I'm going to give it one anyways because, damn it, I'm the host. And uh, that is the organization We Do Better. Uh, now, I've had your, your, your consigliere, John Chang, on from Otters Talking Politics. And actually, he was the one who introduced me to, uh, to Dan, who is one of the founders of We Do Better. And uh, We Do Better is essentially what? Drek, if you can give us the, the SparkNotes version of who you guys are, uh, who you guys are over at We Do Better. Sure. So We Do Better is a grassroots organization. We operate throughout the country. And basically what we exist to do is to empower uh, charities and companies that do better than the government to actually continue to fill on their missions. Basically, we want to help spread the word and we want to make sure that the correct uh, legal thing, you know, legislation is in place to help to make sure that ha happens. So essentially what you're saying is that you do better than the government does in terms of actually enacting these social programs that that will help those people who are in need or, or just the areas of need within the, the particular market the government has tried to fill. Essentially, we do better does better. Correct. And and really, we are we are standing on the shoulders of the the organizations that are out there doing the hard work. So that's why. We started our media arm. So just give you a quick example. Uh, people are familiar with Habitat for Humanity. They build affordable housing for people. Well, they do better than your local HUD office. So we talk about organizations like Habitat 
And then we want to make sure that tax dollars go to habitat rather than HUD. That's the idea. So you mentioned grassroots, and that seems to be like really where we do better gets the the umption to, to keep moving. So um, I'm, I'm just curious, too, because I obviously having you on my show as, as a spokesperson, essentially from We Do Better, how you got involved in We Do Better. Were you a result of a more grassroots type of, a, of approach as well? Uh, not really, actually. So I'm I'm really more with the digital side, the online side. And that's how I found Dan Johnson, our founder, and how I found We Do Better, was I was watching uh, uh, one of these libertarian podcasts, and Dan Johnson was being interviewed. And so I I filled out the the form to get contacted. You know, I said, sign me up for whatever you got. And you know, he gave me the astronaut position, basically. He said you, you're going to be live on. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be our spokesperson. I said, great. I mean, that's not a uh, necessarily a, a bad way to start with an organization, for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah, well, we actually started um, working on writing articles, but uh, we, Dan and I had decided that video and you know, sort of the podcast news show type of type of media was a better, it was a better medium for what we wanted to do. Um, so yeah, that, that evolved a little bit in the last, uh, six months or so. Awesome. So, so like, that's, uh, I mean, we're, we're going to swing back obviously to discuss more of the outreach programs and, and the grassroots programs that, that we do better does, but first let's, let's talk about that role right there. So the, the media arm of we do better. So start with that kind of dig into what you guys have been doing and the reception, the feedback you've received so far. Great. So we just went live, uh, just a few minutes ago. Um, so on, you know, May 22nd, we had our second news show. Uh, we're on a weekly clip right now. We got a news show a week. We're doing a half hour piece. So it's me. Um, and I've got, you know, some visuals and some points and really what I, what we walk through are, what are some developments that we're seeing, you know, is there a company that came out with a new technology? Is there a solution to something that we picked up on that's usually not talked about? Um, so, for example, on the show we just did, we were talking about how uh, psilocybin got legalized or, I mean, sorry, decriminalized in Denver. Um, and there's all these MDMA trials um, that are going on. People probably know about them already. But they're actually getting to phase three with the FDA and there's, you know, there's all this movement. And so we want to we want to make sure that people know what's happening. We want to we want people to know that the world's actually getting better. <laughs> I right? mean, so I mean, I really I don't mean to interrupt. It's just it's funny because um, when, when you ask that question, right, like is is the world poverty, let's say, better off now than it was 20 years ago? Over 90 percent of Americans think it's it, it's actually worse. When in reality, the exact opposite is, is, is true. And you have organizations like, um, oh, what is it? Uh, Think Progress? Is that, no, is that the name of it? 
what's the name of that organization that does all the capitalism? Um, not necessarily capitalism. Anyways, doesn't matter. It's an organization out there. It's a really great free market organization. And they, they raise awareness to what is actually happening in terms of the global poverty rates being decreased. And it is almost always due to the fact that there's a free market solution or that the people who were facing extreme poverty and in these, you know, tyrannical socialist or, or dictatorships that now they're being exposed to free market capitalism. And oh my gosh, lo and behold, their lives get better. And you actually see not only the, the decrease in poverty, but then the decrease in other associated, uh, poverty associated, uh, illnesses and so forth, like, uh, you know, hunger and, and people who are no longer facing, uh, these, these terrible diseases. And it's, it all, it all kind of, you know, snowballs essentially, but it's really when they get a jolt of this free market experience. Yeah. It's like people are talking about how, how healthcare is right now. It's like, dude, you couldn't be. Like a hundred years ago, you know, you had to have like five kids to keep three. And now we're talking about, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> infant mortality has dropped and we're so rich that we can even have that kind of conversation. So yeah, anyway. Oh, it's human, by the way, point, it's, it's right? human progress. It's human progress from Cato. That's, that's, I knew it wasn't think progress because think progress is the, uh, the leftist rag that's like up there with Slate and, and Vox and stuff. So I apologize to the great people over at human progress as a part of Cato because I, Cato, because I know a lot of them listen to the show and I don't want them to think that I'm at all confusing them with, with think progress. So just so we're clear there. Yeah. So, um, and then we also bring on, so in addition to catching people up on, you know, to the extent we can, what are some good things happening? We also go a little, we go a little deeper. We'll bring on a guest. We'll do a short presentation on uh, something, a, a situation where a company or a, char- or a charity did better than the government, where they spent less money, got more done, you know, took out the inefficiency or just, just had better service. So right. there's plenty of those uh, scenarios that we find. And so we've got plenty to talk about there. Now, the thing that I want to add that's really important for liberty minded people is that the thing that we do differently in our show and all of our messaging, whether, you know, and particularly on the show is, is we don't get adversarial about it. You know, like we keep it pretty, we keep it pretty clean, even even if I am a libertarian, right? Uh, I'm not I'm not dropping like any of the libertarian cliches into the conversation. It's it's as if it were, you know, a guy on like Thompson Routers talking about it or something. Well, that's how that's- it has to be, right? I mean, because if you're having a conversation with someone who has no idea about libertarianism, there's your average Joe up the street, or you know, one of your random coworkers you've never really had too much of a conversation with, and you start dropping, you know, Rothbard and Hayek, and and you go you go through and you're talking about the non-aggression principle. They're gonna be like, what the. F- Freak, are you guys, what are you talking about? And it's going to completely alienate them. So to have a conversation that's a real conversation with real people, that, I think that does infinitesimally more, you know, value than, than otherwise. Yeah, and it's funny. I have a, so I'm in Austin, Texas, and there's a voluntarist meetup that I go to. And so it's, it's funny. Like, so all my buddies there will talk about Rand and Rothbard and, all that. And when I when I met Dan and I got started We Do Better, I had to actually deprogram myself <laughs> just to talk like a normal person and to write like a normal person again. 
because I had I kind I had kind of overstudied and kind of gotten I mean I drank the libertarian Kool Aid yep. to the point where I had to to put all that jargon back in the you know back in the closet so to speak. yep it's funny like I don't <laughs> on a little rant here when I was actually in an Uber back uh, this past weekend I uh, I had a gentleman in the car with me and and I. I talked to him as if I was a political novice. Like I was, you know, talking about the, you know, what Trump's doing that's good and what's bad. And I was just doing it in, in a almost like an ignorant kind of, of statement because I, I was like, you know, just talking about things in a very, very, you know, low level, you know, just very headline grabbing way. Just because that's how most other people talk. Honestly, I mean, you you stand by your water cooler, you don't hear you know Susie and Bill talking about you know some intricate principled value that Trump holds when he's making a Supreme Court nomination. It's it's more along the lines of oh my God, you see that stupid thing that Trump said to the Chinese? Like okay, we're gonna go to war, and and that's that you have to have the ability to talk to somebody who that's their level of communication when it comes to politics. Yeah, and, and really what we're finding and kind of our thesis going into this this media venture is that is that people actually don't want to be talking about that stuff. It's just that's what they're getting fed. Yep. You know, that's that's what's out there. If you you know, whether you go to CNN or you go to Breitbart, whether you're on Drudge or MSNBC, you're getting like I was talking to Dan. I call it Fed news. It's like <laughs> it's about like Congress, Congressman this, Congresswoman this, Trump that, you know, Mueller this. It's like, what does that have to do with me in Austin, Texas? Yep, one hundred percent. Right. Yep. And that's it's. I think it goes to a greater problem in America. And actually, I'm, I think I'm going to do this little Twitter experiment is to just to post a poll and say, what's the more important election? And then have like president, U.S. Senate, Congress, or school board. Now, obviously, the answer is school board. But I, I and I think a lot of my audience and my my Twitter followers are actually you know I think they won't fall for the debate. But if it was just a gen, a generic audience or, or a generic crowd that that was you know very uh, nonpartisan, maybe we'll say they're just not necessarily aware to the importance of of local politics. I can almost you know, guarantee that they would say, well, president, obviously, they're the person who runs the country. Now, the fact that they probably would assume that the president is the person who runs the country is terrifying enough, but they don't realize <laughs> they don't realize how actually important their local vote is for a school board election. And I mean, I don't mean to, to go on a rant, but yesterday was primary day and also school board elections up in New York State. So my, my father's the elections commissioner for my home county and only 171 people went out to vote out of a registered voting base of over 5,000 people for my local uh, school district. And and that's like, well, that's that's insane. Like only 171 people are deciding on how your your school's budget is going to be passed, whether or not it's going to be passed, that is, and how that's going to directly impact your property taxes because of your, your apathy in not voting. Yeah, and that's why the it's kind of like the school board guy. I guess he's he's got to get on YouTube and Facebook now to make anything happen. It's insane. I mean, like people just—I I don't know what we have to do 
besides what we're doing right now, having a conversation and trying to, to raise awareness, to, to wake people up to the importance of, of voting local. So let's actually go back to point number one that we discussed for We Do Better, and that's the grassroots outreach. What have you guys been finding in terms of, of success and some wins with some, gra- um, some grassroots outreach to actually help direct people towards m- maybe more local charities or ways that they can make a, a true impact in th- their local communities without having to use uh, government force? Yeah, so currently we've gotten we've gotten bills introduced. We had a bill introduced in California last year. It got shot down in a committee. God bless California. All right. That, <laughs> and that was that was one of our tax credit programs. And so we have some model legislation called the Universal Charitable Credit. And what, and I'll explain why this is important for grassroots is that you've got tax bills at, you know, state and county levels, uh, you know, whether that's income tax, most states have income tax. Uh, everyone's got property tax. You've got some sales tax in there. So between individuals and corporations, there's somewhere where a tax credit could work, Right. In California, income tax would probably be the most obvious. So, um, and so what the credit does is let's say you have a tax bill, $5,000. The credit basically allows you to take about 500 of it and direct it to a charity with no one in between. So, if I want to give 500 bucks to Habitat for Humanity, Instead of it going to the state of Texas, it goes straight to Habitat. Gotcha. And and have you found that that's been a an accepted approach for for people who maybe didn't know that that was an option otherwise? Yeah. So, well, the thing is, is before we do better even got started, there was a credit and still is a credit in Arizona. So there's a charitable credit in Arizona, and it's currently. I'm going to just use the word siphoning, siphoning $100 million away from the government and back into charities, right? So those funds are going straight to charities. Projections put it well over $100 million for you know, the next fiscal year. So we knew that that model worked. Uh, the founders of, the, or of We Do Better had gone out and interviewed the politicians, the charities, the people involved, and found that it, it was just something that people liked. It was just an idea that made sense to people. The only people that need convincing really are politicians because they have something to lose. <laughs> Funny how that works. <laughs> right. Because uh, you're, you're trying to take gravy off the cart so or off the train. Um, but for, for just like an average everyday Joe, it makes sense. Right. And we're right. seeing like now we've got it. We've got it introduced in. Dan's going to kill me. Is it Indiana? I think it's Indiana. Don't worry. Indiana. See, the, the beautiful thing about the Brian Nichols show is that we have an amazing notes section for every podcast. So I, I put everything that we're going to discuss today in the notes section. So if folks are looking to to find you know more about we do better or just find more about the the successes you guys have had, they can go to the notes section and go there, and everything can be found. Um, so my audience, again, I, I I truly believe this, Rick. My audience is the, the most well educated audience around. Not gonna I'm not gonna lie. 
Well, that's a pretty high standard. Hey, what can I say? I have a pretty high standard for my audience. You and got I, me I, on the show. <laughs> I, I also hope that they hold me to that standard. So so hopefully it's a mutually beneficial relationship. But anyways, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. So uh, hopefully, referring to it, it was in Indiana maybe? Yeah, I want to say Indiana. We've got Indiana and North Carolina. We've got bills introduced there. So it's going to go... It's going to go through the the political process at the state level, you know, next year once they're back in session. So let's um, kind of do like a, a 180 from discussing the, the outreach and the grassroots and actually making legislative change and talk about how people in states where the tax credit is allowed that they can they can then use their money instead of going towards the government, towards one of these nonprofits. So if you could, let's kind of um, circle to that and and you can maybe go into explaining more of the legalese and what people would actually have to do to make that happen. Sure. So in in Arizona, where it's most prevalent, um, it's simply a it's simply a form when you when you file your state income tax, you you basically fill out a form saying yeah, I want to direct it to this nonprofit. You know, maybe you just double check to make sure they're registered with that state. Um, and then that's it. And then your funds go there instead of into the state treasury. And so that's really, that easy. Wow. Of, yeah. So in terms of the awareness, well, you just have to make sure that people know the form, people know the limits, you know, it's a different amount, whether you're single or married. Um, so you just have to know that. So there is a level of outreach that's required, but you know, when it's simple, it's as simple as hey, when you file taxes, use this form. That's pretty. That's pretty easy to get across to people. Yep. Let me ask you this, and this is a little off topic, but it's just one of the things that I've been trying to kind of juggle with myself, and that's. Like when we're promoting libertarianism to to the the, the you know the, the culture at large, if I if you will, um, I, I get nervous because I I know our ideas are right. I know that the the way that we're promoting the ideas of non aggression and, and essentially not hurting people, not taking people's stuff, and and using the free market as a tool to fix the the various issues we have in society. I then look at the apathy that exists in people who, who genuinely don't know what's going on. And they, I think they kind of have surrendered their awareness to, you know, whatever the news may be or just learning more about the political process because it seems like, you know, the, the name elected official ABCD has, has basically been elected. Now they're institutionalized in, in Washington as the establishment and, and they're just going to take care of it for me. So I don't need to, to worry about this and look at all these government programs here. I don't need to worry about this. Do you think that we're having a problem in terms of addressing the reality that people have become so apathetic that if we start to point people more towards these free market solutions, that that they won't make a voluntary choice to contribute to help these people in need? Well, if you if we had the tax credit passed in every state in some form and we went out there and pitched it and sold it door-to-door, flyers, you name it, we, we, we would see something happen. Because in Arizona, it's grown. Almost any government, any legislation that allows for credit, like sometimes there are, I know Florida has a scholarship credit for corporations. They, they have to set limits on 
on the amount of money they allow to be diverted or else they'll just they'll just clean out the the, the coffers <laughs> yeah so you know it's re- really like people just don't know and they don't know that they don't know yep that makes like, sense you know they they just have no idea that this stuff is out there and so when and again it goes back to like it also goes back to the media right all you're seeing is coverage about this state program, that state program, free college, forgive college debt, 